You're listening to the Lompoc Foursquare Church Podcast. Uh, One lady said, and you might remember this, that God created me with the ability to believe in any God that I want to believe in, and now he's no longer involved in my life, and I get to believe in whoever or whatever or whomever I choose to be God. God's a higher power. I can believe in anything I want. Uh, We are uh, on the brink of Martin Luther King Day, celebrating his life. I stayed up late last night and read a lot of his speeches, his sermons. And one thing was very clear, that he believed that God valued life, all life, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of where you were born, regardless of your economy, that this is the God who cares deeply about all life, and life has intrinsic value. I I like a professor that maybe you've not heard of. He's a theology professor and an author. His name is Michael Frost. I heard him speak a few years ago, and if for nothing else, uh, his content is great, but his voice is amazing. So take a look at this and listen to Michael Frost. I hope. He talks like this. Well, I think exploring God is about uh, giving up the chase away from God. Sometimes you can talk about exploring God as though he's static, sitting far off somewhere, and you need to begin some quest to explore him or find him. Actually, I'm probably more with Francis Thompson who wrote a poem a hundred years ago called The Hound of Heaven, where he said he felt God was like a hunting dog. He could hear his, his footsteps on the cobblestones behind him. He could feel his breath on the back of his neck. He, he felt that God was much more interested in pursuing him. And in fact, for him to explore God meant to kind of stop running, to, to give up the chase, to turn around and, and submit. And, and I'd say the same thing about encouraging people to explore God. It's the God who is in pursuit of you. And to explore him is basically to relent, to abandon yourself. Actually, I think C.S. Lewis described it that way. He said that uh, coming to God for him was like an unbuckling, is the way he described it. It's like he unbuckled himself and let himself fall into the arms of God. So rather than some static God who invites us to come over, I think God is in pursuit of us. I think that to explore him is to abandon the chase, uh, to to unbuckle oneself and to abandon oneself into the loving arms of God. God is in pursuit of every human being. Last week we talked about God as the God who takes us as we are, accepts us as we are. And he's not hard to get to. Again, uh, as C.S. Lewis said, God is, is pursuing us, pursuing us. And what we have to do is abandon ourselves into the loving arms of God. To abandon yourself. Now, when you talk to people about abandoning themselves, right away you'll begin to feel figuratively or maybe literally their fingers 
goeth into the palms of her hand, clutching control. I'm in charge. You know what I've learned about life? When I'm in charge, we have a problem. But when I allow my life to follow after the God who is in charge, right? See, when we give up and we surrender, often in life, it looks like a sign of weakness. But when you surrender to God and his Holy Spirit, that's really a sign of brilliance. I'm smart enough to know that I'm smart, but not that smart. I'm strong enough to know that I'm strong, but not that strong. And today I want to just talk a little bit about this God who gives us life, who provides us with life. Genesis 2, 7 says, Then the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. The Hebrew word is ruach. And it's pronounced this way, ruach, ruach. And when you say it, it sounds like you're breathing. Ruach. And the Hebrews knew that. In the Greek, it's the word pneuma, where we get pneumatic from or air from. And in the Latin, it's spiritus. Spiritus. Go home today in the mirror. Spiritus. And if there's not any spittle on the mirror, you, you, will, you will like hear your breath. Spiritus. God breathed into us the, the breath of life. And only God could do that. In Genesis 1.27, so God created mankind in his own what? In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He made them from nothing. Ruach. Now, try this at home if you want to. Try this. <laughs> try to breathe into something. A rock, a chair. A wrinkle, if you can. Uh, the other day, my iPhone did what it likes to do. It froze up. It just, nothing. I am pushing upside down on the side, hitting it on the side like I do my Keurig, trying to get it to run. I'm breathing into my phone and nothing happens, which literally means it's time to reset the buttons and start over, right? Uh, try breathing into a $20 bill. And it may flutter because of the breath that you bring to it. But nothing is going to happen miraculously. But when God took his breath and breathed into a pile of dirt, two little nostrils, something happened. Life was, was formed. Life. The God I wish you knew is a life-giving God. You can write it down because some of you are waiting with your pens. When am I going to fill in the blanks? Here you go. The God I wish you knew is a life-giving God. Now, I want to ask you a very strange question. How many of you have ever had a brush with death? You were in an accident and you shouldn't have survived. You had a surgery and they, 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 they left the dishwasher in there, and right? And you, right? I mean, if, if, if you've ever been close to dying, they told you you had six months to live, and now six years later, here you are. You really understand the value of life. Um, in my ministry, both as a pastor and a chaplain, I have seen way too many people die, more than I ever signed up for when I went to Bible college. I just thought I would preach and people would show up and that would be it. But they didn't tell me about 
people on their deathbed and the death and the dying and the funerals and, and all of that. But in those moments, you realize the power of life and the beauty of life. And how many times have I seen some of our finest professionals, when the flat line comes, take their hands off, take their gloves off, and walk away from the patient because there's no more they can do. It is God who is the life-giving God. God who has created us. And the first thing I want you to see, the God I wish you knew provides everyone on this planet with basic life. And isn't this interesting? If you want, you want a thought, something to kind of boggle your mind later on today. We were created because of breath. And the Hebrews believed the Ruach, God was breathing himself into the clump of clay. And when we are born, we're only born because of that initial breath. And God put the power of that breath, the power of procreation inside the seed of the man and the seed of the woman. And I've had many parents say, look what we made. And I chuckle in the background to say, you really didn't make anything. You just took parts that God gave you and brought them together. And guess what? A child is born. They're so proud of themselves. And we all cheer and we love babies. God, thank God for babies. But we couldn't have done anything without the ruach, the pneuma, the spiritus of God. When you have had a brush with death, you come to the place to understand the real value of life. A friend of mine um, recently passed away. They had given him six months to live. He, he lived almost two years. And here's what he told me. He said, Bernie, every day I wake up, I thank God for this day. Do you know 150,000 people will die today in our world? And you're not one of them. Now, I know there's some pessimistic people here. You're going to say, well, the day's not over yet. I, I, I know who you are, or maybe watching online, right? The day's not over yet. But God has given us life. And every day, my friend said, I thank God in the morning. And then as he got weaker and weaker, I thank God in the afternoon. I thank God in the evening. I thank God for the gift of life that he's giving me. Life is sacred. That's why God said one of his Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 13, thou shalt not kill. See, God values life. There's Ten Commandments. Six of them are about you and people Four of them are about you and God. He places extra weight on life and how we treat each other. God is really serious about protecting life. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the, in the womb, I knew you. Now, you have to understand this verse. Before I formed you, in other words, before you started taking form in the womb, I knew you. And people say, well, that's because up in heaven, there's these little spirits waiting to be born. No, 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 no. Before I started forming you in the womb, I knew you. I knew you when you were a little fish swimming up the river, trying to find the little egg in its nest. That's pretty good. See, that's, that's rated G right there, right? <laughs> right? 
I knew you at conception. And I knew the power of the seed I placed in your daddy and in your mommy before. This is cool. And you were born. And before that, I consecrated you. In other words, I put my, my seal upon you. That you are made by the power of, of God. Almost 40 years ago, I, I received this book. It's called A Child is Born. And uh, it moved me. It, it came in a gift bag with some candy in it. I think there was Advil and Tums in it as well. It was from my wife. I'm a little slow. And I got the book and I said, what's this? He said, we're going to have a baby. And I was... I, and I went looking for this, and this is the cover. This is 40, almost 40 years old, this book. And it's been uh, updated. But uh, Leonard Nielsen took pictures inside the womb. And I saw this picture. This is a child in the womb where some people says, will say, there is no life. It doesn't matter. Yet God says, even at conception, I knew you. People, well, when does life start? It already started when the fish started swimming. And when it found that egg, woo! The miracle of Ruach took place. Explosion, life, a child is born. And this little face, male or female, is sucking its thumb in the womb. And the index finger is saying, on home. No. The, the index, you got to be old to know what I'm talking about. The index, the index finger is saying, there's a God. And the other three fingers are saying, man, when I come out of here, I'm going to start grabbing stuff. I'm going to be expensive. I'm going to cost you lots of money. Come on, come on. But if we ever, ever diminish the intrinsic value of a baby in the womb, we are lost. And there are people in our world who would stand here today, and boy, if anybody's watching online, or there'll probably be an email or two I will get, and people want to talk about pro-choice and argue with me. Listen, I believe the God that I know is pro-life in every area of life, from inception to expiration. From the day that we are conceived to the day we take our last breath, all life is sacred. And that's not unique to me. It was Cardinal uh, Joseph Bernardine in Chicago who wrote about consistent life ethic. And you can look it up, consistent life ethic. And here's what he argued, that life should be respected and protected. He said, fundamentally, each and every human being is unique and important. No person is defined by someone else's choices. No one exists as a means of someone else's happiness. Therefore, all choices we make as individuals and as a society must be weighed in light of their impact on human life and dignity. And I love this. It's hard for me to pronounce, but I love this. The right to life is an inalienable. Oh, I did it. Eight o'clock, I couldn't get it out. Inalienable one. As life is sacred, if human life is sacred, then it must be protected. Human life is not more sacred at one point than another. 
It is sacred from inception to expiration. And the lives of the rich are not more sacred than the lives of the poor. And all people have equal right to life because God has breathed upon us the breath of life to give us basic existence. And there are people today living that are breathing in and breathing out. And isn't it interesting that God could have made us without lungs if he chose to? I stayed up late last night thinking about this thought, and I said, I can't wait to share it with the people at 1006. And here it is. God made us with the important ability and capability to breathe in and exhale. And every time we do, it reminds us of Ruach, the Spirit of God. Without his breath upon us, there would be no life at all. And if you really want to contemplate every breath and every heartbeat, think about it this way. At the beginning of humanity, it was God breathing into him. Jesus breathed on his disciples who were afraid and locked into a room. In John 20, he breathed on them and said, you will receive the Holy Spirit, the Spiritus, the Pneuma, the Ruach of God will come to you. And that's our second point. The, the God I wish you knew provides abundant life, not mere breathing in and out, taking up space, someday being in an urn or a casket. That's, that, that's not what he's talking about here. Matter of fact, 1 Timothy 6.19 Paul tells his young son in the faith these words, and would you read them with me? Ready, go. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the... Oh, see, Paul is telling Timothy, there is basic life. Everyone gets it. If you're here, you get basic life. But Paul is telling to Timothy, I want people to take hold of life that is truly life. Not mere existence, but really, really, really living. And the God I wish our world knew is that when we release our lives to him, he gives us this abundant life. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to, to steal, kill, and destroy. By the way, we have to stop there. He started doing this in Genesis, and he hasn't changed his tactics. So if you hear him breathe to you a lie, or your past speaks to you and raises its ugly head, or you see the darkness coming, you have to stop and say, I know what's about to happen. See, the devil's a good promiser, but he can't keep any of his promises. Hey, if you do this, if you take that, if you go there, if you be this, and, and we believe sometimes his lies that we can find abundant life in anything that is counter to God or God's word, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and that's all he does all the time. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life. Everything about Jesus and his walk on this planet was life-giving. And then he dies on a cross so we could have life and we would have it to the, to the full. See, the God I wish people knew is a God who says, I can give you life more than, greater than, more abundant than. The word in the, the Greek is peresos, which simply means this. After all the math is done, there are numbers left over. After all the bills are paid, there's money left over. Anybody say hallelujah to that when it happens? Yeah, yeah. 
There, there's there's a st- abundance. We have done everything that we know to do, and all of a sudden, there's, there, there's more. There's, there's more in the marriage, not because we're so great as marital partners. Aren't I good, honey? Yeah. yeah. No, God has brought something in the marriage you could not bring on your own. There's something else in our parenting, in our job, in our ministry, whatever it is that we're doing. God brings us more, and he brings it to the full. Now, I have to be true to the text because abundant life doesn't mean especially long life. And contrary to some North American preachers, it doesn't mean prosperity, easy, comfortable life. God will do what you say. Abundant life is a life of satisfaction and contentment that's beyond explanation. There's something inside me that says, I I know God is with me, and I may not be able to explain it to you, but... But he comforts me, and he gives me a peace that passes all understanding. You know? It's, it's more than I can even understand. But in John 12, John 12, and I love the message version. Listen carefully. He says, unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it's buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to their life, who clutches it, who tries to control it, who tries to be the Lord of their own lives, will destroy that life. See, God's put inside every human being a purpose. I guess I'll write a book called Purpose Driven Life, right? And, and a purpose inside of them that's supernatural. God has a calling. Again, he knew us and consecrated us while we were in the womb. God has more for us. He's not through with us. But when we clench our lives, and we want to tell the world this, that the God that they know that somehow if they release to him, he will mess up their agenda. Or he will somehow minimize their purpose. Or he'll somehow wreck their lives. Or he'll somehow take all the fun out of life. And God says things like, like, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And in my presence is fullness of joy. God says things like, I come to give you life and life more abundant through his son Jesus. But if you let go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. See, God has life-changing and life-enhancing capabilities. Now, to the Christians who have been Christians a long time, and a long time is any more than five years, we may have forgotten this because some stuff has happened along the way. Some dreams have been shattered along the way. Some people have hurt us along the way. Some people have have unfriended us on Facebook along the way. Some some, some people have, have untweeted us on Twitter. and uh, you know, Some people have, have just d- done horrible things to us. And we believe that our life is not enhanced and not changed. But I just want to remind you that that's what God really does come to do. And what if it was just you and him? Just you and him. And here's a question to those of you that have been around a while. When was the last time you just got alone with God? Well, I got alone with my thoughts. No, you don't want to be alone with your thoughts. That'll get you in trouble. But I was alone with a good book. I was alone with a magazine, you know, by the beach. No, just you and, and God. Be still and know that I am God. 
The God who gives us life. The God who gives us abundant life. And the average guy or gal in Santa Barbara County will say this to you. I don't, I don't want to let go of control. Even in dysfunction. At least I know that my dysfunction is my normality. And I like my normal. And this is where I live. Thank you very much. I carry my baggage and, and my garbage with me. And at least I, but if I, let, if, if I let go to an uncertain God and an uncertain future, what, 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 what's going to happen to me? Well, I, I want to just tell you a, a brief story, especially, especially for those of you that have been Christians a while. Um, many of you know I, I pastored my very first church. This is my second church. And my last one, I'll be here, they'll cart me out of here someday. And, uh, <laughs> I hope not, but anyway. Um, I actually have a friend, he died preaching, they carted him off. So anyway, moving on. <clears throat> and in conclusion, <laughs> and some guy was checking, this is true, guy was checking his watch, and in conclusion, you said that four times already, Pastor, when are you going to get over this thing? He got over it, boom, dropped right there. But hey, if you're a pastor, what a way to go out, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'd rather go out doing a drum solo or a burnout, but that's a whole other story. We won't go there. Uh, so, so where was I? Can you help me? <laughs> so I'm 22 years of age. I'm pastoring a church. Recently, our denomination had a think tank. A bunch of leaders got together, and we were talking about leadership development. And anybody says, does anybody have a nugget from their past? I said, yes, I have one. And they're all looking at me, you know. All the mucky mucks in Foursquare are all staring at me. What do you got, Bernie? Don't let anybody pastor a church when they're 22. Because <laughs> that's how old I was, you know. I was, I was 22 by one month. <laughs> Debbie and I were the youngest people in the church. And uh, Jamie and we had three in the nursery, Jamie and two others. Debbie, Debbie was in charge of everything that I wasn't in charge of. And there we were. And we were right across the street from elementary school. Every morning, I was at the office because this lady at the church said, Pastor, don't be like the last seven pastors. What, what were they like? They weren't here when school was open. A child could get hit by a car. The pastor should be available to serve. You should be here five days a week in the morning. So I, yes, ma'am. She'd been there 30 years in the church, the longest active member. I thought I'd better listen to her. After all, we had 31 members, and she was one of them, and half the church was her family, so I, I didn't want to screw that up, so I, so, I said, so I said, I'll be there, and there I was every morning out in front of our church, parents were driving, and I just waved. I, I didn't know what else to do, and I just waved, and, and this one lady, I'll call her Susie, to protect the guilty, and she was a part of our church, too. And she said, um, I need you to pray for Bob, and here was her, her calling card. I'm Susie. I love the Lord. I follow the Holy Spirit, and I'm raising my children in the ways of the Lord because my husband won't do it because he's not saved. That was her calling card. Every If you met her, hi, I'm Susie. I love the Lord. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. I raise my kids in the way of the Lord because my husband, he's not saved. I mean, every, and every morning, every morning, she would come up to me after she dropped her kids off at that school and say, we need to pray for Bob to come to Jesus. And she was from the South, sorry. And, and I said, okay, Susie, dear Lord, help Bob to come to Jesus. Whatever you got to do. I mean, Now, this went on for five years. 
And Bob came to church. And he sat in the front row. Unlike most people, the smart ones sit in the front row. But anyway, anyway, he sat right here in the front row. And I got to tell you, I, I was excited. I mean, five years, five days a week, been praying for this dude, right? And I said, now, if you're here this, if you're here this morning <laughs> and you don't know the Lord as your Savior, your personal Lord and Savior, if Jesus is not sitting on the throne of your heart, I gave such a good invitation, I want to take notes on myself. Come on. He didn't, he didn't move. He didn't rate with every head bowed and every eye closed. There are 31 people there. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, we're waiting on Bob. <laughs> that invitation went on forever. And the organ was playing. We had a person that played the organ, didn't know how to play. E -R -E -I in the background. That, that organ's going to really help him come to Jesus. Let's go to Jesus. But Bob went home that day and around the table with bologna sandwiches, Bob pulled out the brand new Bible he had just bought, sat on the table, grabbed the hands of his children, looking at his wife, and said, this is my day to give my life to Jesus. I will follow him. Now, the story doesn't get better because Susie, his wife, couldn't handle the fact that Bob was now going to be the spiritual lead and her calling card. Hello, I'm Susie. Filled with the Spirit, following the Lord. I raised the children because my husband won't do it. She's got to change her, her greeting. And Bob is starting to learn spiritual things and recognizing that Susie's out of order in some of her life. Ooh, and now Bob is convicting his wife with the Bible? <laughs> when prior to that, it was her making up scriptures. Thou shalt do the dishes every three. Come on. Husbands, submit to your wives. <laughs> I mean, and now Bob's reading there. Oh, no, I'm, Susan, I'm supposed to love you like Christ loved the church, but you're supposed to follow me out of surrender to that love and to that directive. And Oh, no, blasphemy of the Spirit. She caused him more trouble, and all because of this one thing. I can't believe I'm taking so long to tell this story. She could not let go of her control. She'd been saved over 25 years, walking in what she believed was abundant life, but actually was her abundance of control. And here's the verse that I would tell her if she was here today. By the way, I had to <clears throat> pastor them three more years before I left. She's one of the reasons. I, anyway, no. <laughs> Psalm 34, verse 8 and 9. Would you read it? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. And part of that word fear is not just I'm afraid of God or I reverence God, but it's I surrender to God everything. And what would have been right for her if she listened to my wise counsel would have been let go of your place, 
Let him take his as he follows after the word and the will and the way of God. See, God with infinite love and limitless power will guide your life to become more meaningful and satisfying than you could ever create without him. And that's what I would love to tell everybody in Santa Barbara County today and out at Vandenberg Air Force Base today. There's a uh, pastor who's locally world famous And here's what he says. I believe everybody's life would be better if God were at the center of it. So Thursday, I don't know what you were doing from noon to 4.58, but that was a launch window from 1 o'clock to 4.58. I'm at the Rod and Gun Club on the base, if you know where that is, and I'm waiting patiently with the distinguished visitors that are there to watch the Delta Four on Thursday. The chunk of my day. There was no food truck. There's a porta potty. I just thought I'd let you know. Some of you know where that is. Somebody tried to go into the Rod and Gun Club wearing a suit. They said, You're not a member. You can't go here. So we all went to the porta potty. Anyway, if you're part of the Rod and Gun Club, sorry I didn't mean any shame to you. Just thought I'd let you know that that's. What happened? So, actually, he works for a congressional office. But anyway, anyway, not important. Uh, uh, (laughs) And that's something. And we're out there waiting, waiting. But I had conversation after conversation with some of the finest airmen in our country. Even the guy was taking a nap in a chair. It was great. Where are you from? Where are you from? Hey, you guys, uh, oh, 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 that's Pastor Bernie, said one of them who goes to church here. Another one said, yeah, yeah, he's our honorary commander. Uh, that, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, he's a good guy. I said, oh, thank you. Uh, now I got, all the, I got this audience of airmen around me. And here's what I started to say. Hey, guys, I'm doing this series. This is always cool. The God I wish you knew. What would you tell me about the God I wish you knew? What, what, what do you know about God? One guy said, oh, he's great. He's all, we serve the Lord. Great. Another guy said, well, you'll kind of mess up with your style, you know, if you got some style. I looked at him and said, you don't have much style, man. (laughs) By the way, you're wearing the same thing he's wearing that she's wearing. I mean, you got style? What kind of style is that? It's all the same, you know. And it's supposed to be that way. I get it. Don't send me a memo. I got it. I got it. And But here's what I told him. Here's what I believe about God, that everybody's life is better if God is the center of it. Everybody's life is better when you let go. And I use this analogy because uh, a lot of you know about missiles and rockets and stuff. They go through this protocol and, and everybody gets called, you know, are you ready? Yes, go. Yes, go. Yeah. And all of a sudden we heard these words, hold, 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 which means something ain't right. And the guy on the PA system came over and said, we have an anomaly. We don't understand, but we're going to figure it out and we'll get back to you. And then restart the clock. And I'm going, oh, no, not again, you know. And here's what I told one guy. I said, isn't it interesting, there's a protocol and a procedure that the people that are launching this rocket follow. And at one point he says, "Uh, go to page 146, everybody. And everybody goes to 140. Boy, I just said, hey, guys, I have this this manual that I follow. (laughs) I mean, it it preaches. I'm sorry, I'm there. It it preaches, you know, and I love to use real life stuff. And I said, yeah, I have this, this, this protocol manual that when life doesn't get good, uh, there's, there's a psalmist who talks about life when it's tough and it doesn't work. And, 
He says, where are you, God? I'm looking for you. And God says, I'm right here. And at one point, he says, like we sang today, where does my help come from? I look to the hills. I go as high as I can go. And then I recognize I must go higher. It's God. My help comes from the Lord. I can run to him. He's our strength and very present help in time of trouble. See, 2 Corinthians 3.17, I'm telling these guys out there, and I'm telling you today and anybody watching online, that 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, now the Lord is the the Spirit. And where the Ruach, uh, where the Pneuma, where the Spiritus of the Lord is, there is freedom. The land of the free, the home of the brave, but there is a freedom that can surpass anything that we know. There's a freedom. John 5, 26 says, and God as a father has life in himself. So he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And if you want to find real life, real meaning, real hope, you must give your life to God. You must give your life to his son, Jesus, because in him there is life. He's going to increase your capacity to love and your capacity for joy and your capacity for peace and your capacity to get along with people. And the last thing is, the God I wish you knew provides, and this is so important, eternal life. Eternal life. 1 John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may, you may know. Yeah. See, this is John. This is the beloved. This is the friend of Jesus. He's on the island of Patmos, and he sees what heaven is like, and he Revelation 21, he tells us heaven is where there's no death and mourning, and, and I always add no taxes. That's always good, you know. No politicians. We'll move on. But John wants us to know, listen, to know that we don't need to fear death. I, I want to tell people the God that I know doesn't want anybody to fear death, but to understand that there's something greater for them beyond this planet, beyond this existence. See, this verse reveals two critical truths. First, that there's a gift called eternal life. And when I've been with people at the end of their life, this is the most important thing. It's not how many hours they work or how many ranks they held or how much money they have. It's all about, I know where I'm going. And I have to tell you, I've, I've been with some people on their deathbed, and they are scared to death, literally. Pastor, where am I going to go? Said one man in his 80s. And I said, well, we better deal with that right now, because they're telling me you don't have much time. His mind was still functioning. He was able to communicate. His body had shut down. And so I talked to him about what would you have said? Well, you know, there's a good show on this week. And did you see that on Netflix? Oh, man. Now, and this might sound callous to some of you. He wasn't even really concerned that his family was around him. He was glad they were there, but he wanted to know when this all stops, where am I, where am I going? And we were able to talk about Jesus who died. And you want to talk about clarity in a moment? He was a drowning man reaching out for any rescue he could find. And uh, we happened to introduce him about 14 minutes before he left this planet to Jesus Christ, the rescuer, 
the Savior, the Lord. There's a gift called eternal life. And the second thing is we can be confident that we have eternal life, that we have it. So here's a verse, then we're going to pray as time is up. Someday we're going to have power over the clock. By the way, I got an email from a lady who said, your service is an hour and 15. Never apologize. I came from a church with a three-hour service. This is cake. <laughs> I said, ma'am, at an hour and 15, the natives are restless, and it takes them two minutes to get to their car and be gone. Eye has not seen. Listen to this. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it ever been conceived in the mind of man what God has prepared for those who love him. So here's a question. What's the greatest thing that's ever happened to you? Or what do you, what do you wish would happen? And you got that, that, that wish. Whatever the greatest moment is that's happened to you or the one you dream about, your eyes and your ears and your creativity cannot begin to conceive what God has prepared for you. No, no eye has seen, ear has heard, or has even been conceived in the drawing board of a mind of a human being. What God has prepared for those who love him. The greatest of the greatest is, is, is happening in heaven, when you think about heaven, you can't think about heaven because <laughs> it's greater than you can conceive in your mind. And God has prepared that for people. That's the God I know, that when your life is done because your basic life has become your abundant life, has become a belief in the eternal life of God, that someday you will stand before him, and your most amazing, exhilarating experience on this planet will be eclipsed in the first five minutes of you standing before God in heaven, and it'll go on like that forever, and ever, and ever. So am I grateful each day for the life that I've been given by God? We should do that every day. Thank you, Lord, I'm not a part of the 150,000 today. We're ending their life. Thank you, Lord, for the pessimist who says, okay, am I currently living an abundant life? I mean, really, am I living an abundant life? And am I confident of eternal life? Thank you for listening to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. To find out more about Lompoc Foursquare Church or to watch us live online, please visit mylfc.com.